Welcome to the Monsters and Myths show, where we shine a light on the barriers and obstacles that get in the way of getting things done. Now, today's guest might come as a bit of a surprise to some people because they think, why are you inviting a direct competitor on your show? Because Nick and I actually do pretty much the same thing. But the thing is, there's more than enough for us to do. And actually, we've collaborated in the past and we look forward to collaborating together in the future. We work well together. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the next half an hour. Fantastic. And, and like I say, we do, you know, we, we both do horizon scanning, we do ideation, we do, uh, we, we try and change things for people. And in trying to change things for people, or with people, we tend to encounter a lot of barriers and obstacles. And I'm sure that you and I have got hours worth of war stories to share. So we're going to dive straight in um, with the yeah. monsters and myths that you've encountered. Nick, okay. what's your first monster or myth? Okay, so the first one I've got is called the two-headed imposter. And actually, I'm not starting from a client's point of view um, or a business's point of view. I'm starting from an internal point of view. And this is derives from my own pathway to innovation and I studied product design at, at university and came up with an idea for a self-cleaning toilet door handle so I was working in the nuclear industry and I was in the loose and I was washing my hands and some guy walked out without washing his hands and touched the toilet door. And I thought, oh man, I'm gonna have to like touch that door handle now. And we had two suspected cases of SARS at the time because we had engineers flying back and forth from China. And so they were in quarantine. And so I thought, oh, this is a good idea. And so that's the project that I did out from university, right? And this was back in 2004. Um, that would and have been really useful in COVID times. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I released it like 15 years too early, 16 years too early. Um, but it was there really that that was my first foray into innovation, right? Trying to make something almost like a massive leap forward. I mean, door handles are pretty bad. I did lots of testing anyway. And then moved into marketing and advertising. And then eventually I when I was in advertising, I worked for a very well-known ad firm. And it was there really that I discovered that I was talking to the CEO and stuff. And he was just like, Nick, you don't want to be an account manager. You need to do like ideas, right? This is your thing. This is what you do. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. So I let, and it was an amazing place to work. Like I loved it. It was incredible. It was Saatchi's in London, just an unbelievable place to work. And then left there and then um, went and worked for a small digital agency. And then I was kind of like, right, I really want to do my own thing. I really want to help businesses. I'll, ultimately, I want to sell ideas, right? And I remember my dad going, no one's going to pay you for ideas, Nick. Uh, but now they do, right? So it's great. And so my the two-headed imposter thing really derives from uh, my journey and my um, perception of my own abilities and... I remember I was on Instagram 
and I was scrolling through this uh I was just I've got it here somewhere I was scrolling through my feed and it was it was called the creative process and this is how I kind of like sum up the uh the imposter thing it's and so the creative process is you get a brief and you're like, oh, this is awesome. That's kind of like step one. This is amazing. And then you get into the brief and you're like, oh, this is really tricky. That's like state, that's phase two, right? This is really tricky. And that's where they're kind of like, oh, am I good enough to do this? And then you're into, right, let me think of some solutions to this challenge. And you're just thinking, ah, oh, this is shit just can't do it it's shit and then you get through to stage four which is i'm shit it must be me i'm terrible at doing this and then once you've explored the problem you get through to oh this might be okay and then oh this is awesome this is really good this is a really good idea now i tend to get it more when i'm doing workshops because i'm not from you know capita deloitte ey what if like the big accenture i'm i never went um, and was never employed by any of those large innovation agencies. So a lot of the processes that I use are derived from my own journey of trying to make an idea happen. And that, and because I was never in big corporate, it was always kind of, I always thought of myself, well, I'm not, you know, I, I don't have like a massive R and D team and I, you know, I've just done stuff by myself. But I think that is the reason now I work with big corporate and it is my biggest strength is the kind of like the imposter thing has switched over to almost like um, it's the it's the reason why I'm working with these big corporates is because exactly because I'm not like them and I've had to hustle through. And so I would say that is the first thing. And then I also think it translates over to business in that some of the small businesses have that imposter the imposter thing going on within themselves because they think well we're just a small business you know we're not in silicon valley we're not we're not a unicorn they have all this stuff that they perceive there's no truth around it but that's what they that's what they think it's, it's a belief it's a self-belief they don't believe in themselves and their capability to yeah be. yeah yeah and that can often lead to you know what we're just it's, we're just going to continue doing what we're doing so whilst it's cool like we could do some stuff with you i think we'll just you know we're not like we're not pepsi or rolls royce or danone or whatever we're a small business uh of two people and you know it's not for us however i have just i'm still working with a really small business of two people so i work with some absolute monsters and some tiny businesses and the solution that we developed for them is unreal like it's going to shift their business from trading their time for money to hugely scaling it um through being able to better serve their customers and giving them ways to do that and you know so that's the that's the benefit really of the imposter thing is that whilst it is within you it's not a truth it's your belief and, that you and believe to be true so one and 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 I think this will probably resonate with you. One of the things that I enjoy doing the most about because we both we both uh, teach ideation techniques, not only run ideation sessions for people, um, but we actually teach it as a technique. And and I, one of the first things I always say to the client is is I am not 
going to be the source of your ideas. I, I build myself as an innovation catalyst as saying, but I am going to unlock that power within your own people and within you. And a lot of people will sit there and they go, yeah, but we just, we just aren't creative. And then you run an ideation session. And the bit where I get my biggest kick is when I start seeing the light bulbs going off in people's eyes because suddenly they realize that they start coming up with really good ideas because you've taught them a technique on how to unlock it. So that's, mm -hmm. a, you know, lots of people who don't believe that they can, when you show them how, then suddenly they realize, actually, we can do this. So the same sort of process as you went through with getting the brief and the, oh my goodness, it's hard. And, and a lot of the, the, the people that I work with, they see it just as an, an insurmountable task. Or there's something that I read somewhere along the line that said, um, the more of a specialist you are, um, the harder it is for you to come up with ideas yeah. because because they're so focused in, in one thing. Yeah, so I get that in terms of, so a good example would be, Nick, we're accountants, we're not, we're not creative. And I mm. always show this um, cave painting, which is about 42,000 years old um, in Ardèche in France. And this beautiful, absolutely beautiful cave painting. Now we only, as a um, species, learned to feed ourselves on a consistent basis about 10,000 years ago. So as, a species we are inherently creative and actually creativity is more important to us than being able to feed ourselves and the point you make around um techniques is something that i also reference with organizations and i say the reason why you get to the point of the phase th phase three which or phase two which is this is tricky this is shit we're not going to go any further is because you don't have any techniques to follow. So what you're doing is you're asking your teams, you're throwing them into a room That's and it. saying, come up with a solution to this problem. And I can guarantee that Google, Tesla, Pixar, don't throw their teams into a room and pray they come up with a great idea to move the business forward. chance. So why are, you, why are you as a business doing that? There's no, no reason to. There's so much, so many tools and so much information out there that you can use to really unlock the potential of not only your people, but your business, you know? And I think there's a, it, no matter the size of the business, there's, there's huge opportunity on the other side of this is tricky. So, so the key to overcoming the two-headed imposter syndrome is actually mm. showing people how they can actually do it themselves. It's, it's getting them to believe in themselves. Cause as you said, yeah. the imposter syndrome is it's a lack, it's, it's a belief, it's a strong belief in your inability to do something. And therefore, yeah. somebody that comes along and that can actually show you how you can achieve it, that then becomes a, oh, wow, and they overcome the imposter syndrome. Good one to start off with there. Yeah. yeah. What's your next one? So the next one I've called Atlas and the Weight of the World. And uh, it's to do with... Um, leadership within organizations in that it's really difficult when you engage with an organization to say to the leadership team you're going to put in x and you're going to get y out of it and because at the beginning you can't tangibly say that you can reference old case studies but for them you can't tangibly say 
you invest X and you're going to get Y. It almost can sometimes, and certainly this is true of smaller organizations, hinder the progress of innovation within that organization or just hinder the organization from moving forward because they become um, risk. It's not so much risk averse, it's more a protectionist. There's more of a protectionist mindset around the business because the woman at the top of the business is, is looking out for all of her, all of her employees. And so sometimes innovation and certainly um, ideation and creativity can be stemmed by that protectionist mindset and it can play into if they do go into you know an innovation process and workshops it can stunt ideas really what we are looking for you know the ideal is there's no kind of like um there's no agenda there's no, there's no there's no um protectionist mindset from the organization from the start a real good thing would be today guys we're going to develop some solutions to this challenge and we've got this budget to test those ideas so it doesn't matter if they're huge ideas or small ideas we're gonna we're gonna we're going to test some some of them i've never had that in an organization to say we've got some we've got some budget to test it and so consequently what you get is ideas which are almost like hemmed in again it goes back to belief by the belief of the organization in that they have to be protective and it has to be an idea which is scalable and familiar to the organization and so i think that that can play into if you're holding group sessions if you've got the leadership team in there sometimes the rest of the group feel that they can't express their solutions although they might have solutions that they've been harboring for ages they've been waiting to kind of like uh you know explain at this in the forum of the workshop and actually it can sometimes atlas who is the woman or the man at the top of the organization can stem that sorry they put artificial constraints around it because yeah artificial the people constraints. aren't comfortable about speaking about being creative in front of leadership type of a thing yeah right? yeah yeah it's um and so i have experience how have you addressed that have you simply removed the leadership i'll, I'll tell you one way how i have done it in the past oh, that's correct, but but you tell me how have you i don't i don't exclude them i don't believe it's uh beneficial to the process to exclude them because actually if they are ultimately the people that will sign off any initiatives and it's far better for them to be involved in it. Um, one of the ways that I manage it is to break the um, working group into smaller groups and then the leader goes across the different groups. So everyone does get an opportunity to speak. If they're really kind of like protectionist, we can't do that because of that. I've had examples of leaders going, we can't, there's no way we can do that. It's gonna to be too expensive. When actually, if you reduce the idea down to something tiny, well, man, you can do it. Once you see the benefit of doing that idea and the data coming back into the business of, oh, this really resonates with our audience. Suddenly there's like, oh, let's take some money from over here and put it in into this because I can see the ROI on it, which is where we went right back to the beginning of proving that if you invest X, you get Y. So it's not, not about stemming the idea and it's not about... Um, stunting the the growth of the idea within the workshop 
um, you know, you've got to give it room and you've got to give it legs to breathe. If you're instantly like, we can't do that because of this, then we, there's no point in doing the workshop in the first place, really. How do you do it? How do you, how do you? Well, it, I, a variety of ways, but one, the one that stands out for me that, that worked and it doesn't work in all size organizations. I once ran a workshop for a, a very large organization that was geographically spread and right. it was a interdisciplinary uh, workshop so running across multiple different uh, teams we had uh, marketing we had design we had engineers manufacture we had it we had a whole group of cross-functional teams in there um and uh, and it was held at an actual industrial site of theirs and the industrial site hardly ever got to physically interact with any of the leadership um, and I insisted that number one, everybody arrives in casual dress. Number two, nobody uses surnames or titles. All name tags everywhere is first name only. And the, the, the groups on the tables, it was a group of about 24, 25 people in the workshop. Um, and the groups were completely, completely mixed up. And even I did not know who the people were. I only knew them and, and I insisted on that from the beginning. I said to the, the guy that was the internal coordinator, I said, you jumble up the seating, you, you will know who everybody is, but I won't. And therefore I'm treating everybody the same way. Um, and it was a full day workshop and, and there was one particular person on a table that was quite, um, I would say quite gobby and, and a bit in a good way good banter and and yeah. I ended up having quite a bit of banter with this lady that the whole time and and um the workshop was scheduled to finish at four o'clock in the afternoon and at two o'clock uh she came up to me and she said I really have to go but I've so enjoyed this I can't believe the amount of creativity and the ideas that have been coming out of this really want to thank you shook my hand left and uh, the guy who was organizing came back and he said um Okay, now that she's gone, I'll just let you know that the person that you've been giving the hardest time in the room, that's the CEO. And, oh, and really? nobody, he said, very few people in this room will actually know who she was because she's never down at the site. And that was a, and, and she's never had interaction with the team. And yeah, the senior leadership was completely interspersed and everybody was reduced to the same level simply because first names only and nobody and and i said to the guy you've got to drill it in nobody can pull rank in this everybody's just a person interacting we want ideas we want creativity we don't want boundaries this was the divergent thinking part convergent thinking can come later and i know you practice you preach the same thing first divergent explode all the opportunities explore the art of the possible then we'll review and come back and start putting the constraints around but first we're going to think broadly um and that particular workshop led to a series of workshop which led to the client sponsoring a first a trial of some of the ideas they allocated a hundred thousand pound budget within mm -hmm. six months they got board sign off to increase that to a million pound budget which then spiraled into three international R&D centers and a product launch at the Consumer Electronics Show three years after I had done it, I had done the workshops, where they invited me on the show 
um, on their stand, first time they'd ever been at the Consumer Electronics Show, they won best in class innovation for their category, won a, a, an award, and they had invited me on to say, here's the fruits of the workshop that you ran three years ago. Um, and it was amazing. They, it had turned into a multi-million pound product line for them. Um, all that came out of that one little interaction, it was three workshops I ran for them in the end, but just that one initial interaction, um, because we didn't put the constraints there. And, and you're right, mm -hmm. you know, leadership often feel that they have this responsibility to everybody, that, that they don't want to disappoint people by letting yeah. people think that their ideas might have legs. So they just squash them right there and then. And it's just yeah, wrong yeah. place, wrong time. First harvest yeah. the ideas, then we'll yeah. put some rationality behind it. Yeah, seen that monster, yeah. identify it, we can conquer it. Yeah. So your third and final one, what yeah. you got for the third us? Third and final one, I don't really have a snappy name for it, but uh, <sighs> it's around the, the problem with ideas. And so um, one of the things that I've experienced once we've gone through a workshop is that sometimes teams will ask, oh, how did we stack up against other teams? Or how did we stack up against other businesses? Or did we generate loads of ideas? You know, ultimately it's down to them to understand whether it's worked it's work for them. But um, I believe that the, really the key to unlocking great ideas is through the um, problem part. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean. So the businesses that tend to ask, how did we do, tend to have gathered little insight around the problem or they gathered insight, but it's the wrong problem that they're looking at. So I always work with businesses around um, understanding what the problem is. So I like in a typical business, you'll have R&D that will do the research and development. I think it should be reframe and development. So the first thing you should always do and the key to unlocking great ideas is, and really generating lots of ideas is the problem that you start with and a good way to explain it is that in school and this is the way i explain it to um the people that i work with and do we do the workshops with in school we are taught binary thinking we're taught things like uh to solve problems like what does five plus five equal and what we don't learn is to turn that into what two numbers add up to 10 because as soon as the problem's unlocked and you reframe that you can generate hundreds and hundreds of ideas and so i find the problem with ideas is not the ideas it's always it's always the problem at the, at the start it's always it's always the beginning and i think that if teams work in a way to really understand what is the challenge we're trying to solve and then do the insight you'll get so you'll get much better um solutions as a result of that as opposed to this is the challenge we need more sales go and understand what the competitors are doing let's do the same as them i mean that's like a race to the bottom or yeah. you you're not going to get you're not going to get any well you will get you will get incrementally further along but you're not going to like set a light to anything and so I think that, um, yeah, it just needs to be re reframed at the beginning. So it's reframe and development as opposed to 
challenge research and development. Um, and that's kind of like the other and, thing I, I would say. And it's one of the fundamental ways that we evaluate ideas because an idea is worthless unless it can be executed to create value. And that value could be cost reduction, it could be increase in, in profits or sales or whatever. But, but an idea that's just an idea that has no value really isn't worth anything. And, and you know, because I know you ask the same thing, the first thing that you do to evaluate somebody's idea is what problem is it solving? Yeah. You, you know, so, so I'm sure that you get people that come up to you all the time with, with ideas and they go, we've got this great idea. We're going to do X, Y, Z, you know, solopreneurs or the, you know, side yeah. hustlers, uh, individuals that, that suddenly have a, a brain bubble in the shower and they go, oh my goodness, I've just had this revelation. You know, I'm going to create a, a umbrella for people to wear in the shower so that they don't get the hair wet, you know. But, yeah, yeah. And, and the first thing that I ask, and I'm sure that you do too, is, what problem is it solving? Who's it solving the problem for? Do they care about having that problem solved for them? So as you yeah. say, the idea is far less important than understanding the actual problem and, and understanding what the problem means, because then it unlocks different set of opportunities and ideas. Yeah, the idea, the idea is the easy part. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. There was, um, there are, well, they're a multinational and they sell um, lenses, glasses lenses, uh, um, through a distribution network. So retailers, they're independent opticians and they weren't selling a huge amount of lenses. And so they said, right, what we need to do is get loads more advertising material into our independent retailers. That's what they need to sell more of our product them on the problem and we changed it to how can we empower our retailers to better serve their customers and I went in I always like doing kind of like in the field research right and I went through the user experience of one of their independent uh, retailers and what I found was there was already loads of advertising material advertising there their product but the person who met you at the door of the opticians also then after you've been through for your appointment tried to sell you frames and lenses and so we created the solution whereby the global business that manufactured the lenses created a platform where independent opticians could upload their logo to it um, and serve their customers with uh, a, a means of, okay, here's your appointment. So the appointment's booked in, opens the platform. You get to tell the platform about your lifestyle. So I do a lot of work on the computer. I have an active lifestyle. So probably like scratch resistant lenses would be, you know, a thing for me. You go through all these preferences. And then you go through the frames because independent retailers, they stock a set amount of frames that might not be relevant to you or you might not like them. So you say, these are the frames that I like. And what it affords the, the independent retailer to do is have some information on the customer before they even get 
to the uh, to the store allows you to understand what what functionality within the lens that you want. So scratch resistance, blue light resistance, whatever it may be. So when it comes to the point of sale, you're not you, the the sales assistant isn't saying right which lenses do you like and which um, which frames do you like. They've got it all mapped out for you. And they can say, so the reason why we've put blue light in, a blue light protection is because that you are, you're working on your computer all the time. We noticed that in, you mentioned that you've got, um, you know, you, you've an active lifestyle. So we've got the scratch resistance. The, the, the difference between those two original problems is we need more point of sale, internally focused. It's about us. It's the yep. wrong, it's, you're not going to generate loads of ideas to that because the problem isn't externally facing. The other one, how might we empower our retailers to best serve their customers is external, externally focused. And so you can generate a lot more, a lot more solutions to that and, and solutions which are which resonate with your with your audience. And that's the whole power of innovation. Everything starts with the problem. Because like I said, the, the ideas are the easy part. They're, they're just, you can, you can generate ideas like that all the time. It's the, uh, it's the problem that you want to really interrogate. That is a brilliant way of summing up and putting a line under the session. The problem with ideas um, is, is 100%. I'm definitely with you on that one. Nick, that's all that we've got time for. Thank you very much. I will put no, all you. your social media links and everything in the show notes so that people can get hold of you if they want to find out more about ideas and the problems with ideas and, and how to run ideation sessions and, and if they want some great ideas from you as well. So we'll yeah. make sure they can get in touch. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. No worries. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.